I'm John Burke, the managing editor of New Project Media, and welcome to today's NPM podcast. Joining me today is a man who needs no introduction, and there's also no shortage of topics I would like to discuss with him. So thank you for joining the program today, Sheldon Kimber, the founder and CEO of renewable developer Intersex Power. Thanks for having me, John. It's a pretty uh, auspicious day to be here. Absolutely. So we're going to kick off today's program by discussing the compromise reached on July 27th by Senator Manchin and Senator Schumer on what's now being called the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, which costs for, among other things, $369 billion in spending on energy security and climate change programs over the next 10 years. Sheldon, in your mind, what are the key takeaways in terms of uh, the tax credit extensions and amendments uh, in terms of what they propose, and perhaps if you can comp it against uh, Build Back Better? Yeah, so, I mean, first and foremost, it is just an astoundingly large victory for, you know, the climate. I mean, I, I think I want to just be clear that, you know, this is the largest climate legislation that uh, we've ever seen. Uh, and, you know, by by a very, very long shot. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure people have the gravity of what has, has been, you know, agreed upon here. Uh, secondly, I want to just you know, make it clear that, you know, we're a long way from having this done I'll, <laughs> with all of the back and forth. I'll, I'll kind of, you know, I'll, I'll breathe easy when the, when the, when the, when the ink is dry from the president's pen. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, we, we, as a, as a, as a group tend to, uh, uh, on the, on the environmentalist and pro progressive side of which I'm both tend to, uh, you know, kind of eat our own a little bit. So hopefully we can avoid doing that here uh, at the end. Um, uh, you know, before we dive in maybe to the actual uh, climate-focused policies, I, I, I will address maybe kind of the, the, the first thing, which a lot of people have, uh, you know, hit upon uh, in, the, in the early release here, which is there are obviously oil and gas and energy security-related items in this as well. Uh, and I just want to be clear, you know, from my perspective, that this in no way takes away from the climate impact of the bill, right? Uh, there's no no doubt in my mind, just economically, that we as a country are going to have to, um, you know, for, for geopolitical reasons, uh, increase our output, increase the ability of the country to export fossil fuels for the near term. There's really just no two ways around that. So I think we've got to be realistic about those things. Um, you know, I think the thing for everybody to keep in mind is that no matter what the fossil fuel industry gets out of this, one, um, you know, there's a certain amount of that that is needed for just, you know, our geopolitical safety. And two, um, you know, what we should really care about is what the analysis is at the margins, right? The marginal contribution of whatever the oil and gas industry gets from this is is insignificant, right? To their their power and influence and the ability of, of fossil energy to you know produce at large scales the marginal impact of this bill on the you know clean energy sector is absolutely game-changing it is the single largest you know enabler i think globally of clean energy that's ever been passed and so i think keeping that marginal analysis in, in mind when you compare the two is is going to keep everybody's head on straight as we try to finalize and pass this thing Um, so just in terms of uh, some of the highlights there, it looks like we got um, 
10 years coming for uh, an extension for ITC and PCC and standalone storage finally does get its um, ITC in there as well. Um, and then they do allow provisioning or sorry, an amendment uh, to carbon capture. And it looks like green hydrogen is going to get um, some tax uh, credit is there. Uh, sorry, tax credits as well. Um, what are some of the highlights for you uh, in the, the draft that came out? You know, I, I mean, I think obviously there's the wind and solar ITC and PTC. Uh, there's the hydrogen tax credit. We've talked about uh, an enormous amount. Uh, I will note also that the hydrogen tax credit is um, one of the new technologies that are covered under the direct pay mechanism. Um, you know, the wind and solar have a, kind of a, a reallocation mechanism, if you will, but not the, the full direct pay. Um, so, uh, you know, all of those are, are great for our business. They're, they're, they're going to be a huge mover for us in terms of our efforts to uh, move beyond just grid power and, you know, use our green electrons to power green hydrogen and some of uh, these, these, you know, new uh, deeper sort of industrial decarbonization products that we're working on. Um, I, I, I do want to hit though the, the thing that I think is most important, and I've said it over and over and over again, it, kind of a broken record, but the thing that is most meaningful to me here, not just as um, a climate advocate and uh, clean energy CEO, um, but but I guess as an American, uh, it sounds it sounds a little cheesy to say that, but as a you know as a as a as a patriot uh, who actually you know. Uh, uh, Believes that 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 you know uh, that that that's a a thing a liberal can still be. Um, it's domestic manufacturing. Um, you know this is game changing. Tens of billions of dollars going into um, making the United States actually um, you know be a player on the global stage for the production of solar panels, you know, wind turbines and blades, batteries, um, the mining of, of minerals, of which we have a lot. We just simply haven't invested in getting it out of the ground and, you know, building the, 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 the battery uh, uh, factories here in the US. So that's just a huge game changer. I think not only for the economics of the clean energy industry, but maybe more importantly, the thing that I've been harping on is just we have to create a durable political consensus around clean energy and climate. And you're not going to do that unless everybody in this country can see, you know, their place in that energy transition and how it doesn't harm their, you know, day to day, but actually helps their day to day. Um, and, and so the domestic manufacturing piece is just pivotal to that. Uh, well, let's shift over gears to uh, Intersect. You guys have had a busy uh, eight months, uh, by my count, um, bookended by the November 2021 announcement. 2021, excuse me, announcement that um, the company raised 2.6 billion. Uh, some of it was to fund uh, this uh, portfolio of projects: solar and solar plus storage in California and Texas. And uh, then um, just um, a couple of weeks ago, a $750 million equity raise, um, which among other things enables uh, you, the company, to accelerate your pipeline for renew gen renewable generation, but also named a green hydrogen target uh, amongst the use of proceeds. Uh, we'll get back to green hydrogen in a second, um, but just going to renewables, um, you know, the projects we've been covering in NPM and elsewhere have been in California and uh, Texas, excuse me. Um, so, you know, in your mind, we're talking, you were talking about a two 
gigawatt to GWH solar and solar plus storage pipeline in November. In June, you were talking about eight gigawatts, eight GWH. Um, where, where, what are the new markets for you guys? What are you looking at? What do you think is interesting right now, and why are they interesting um, for what you guys do? So our business kind of breaks down into three pieces, and we use you know internal sort of lingo, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll lay it out pretty simply. Uh, first is kind of our base portfolio, which is you know the stuff that's you know financed in you know either uh, uh, about to come online in the next couple months or you know uh, uh, in construction and will be online next year. Uh, that's the 2.2 gigawatts uh, and one and a half gigawatt hours batteries that that is spread across really four projects in California and Texas. A couple of those are multi-phase projects, but it's really four you know uh, uh, large sites. Uh, so monster projects um, and, and and you know uh, all power marketed with shorter tenor contracts, financed with fairly innovative you know uh, approaches and. We're extremely excited to have those operating in markets such as ERCOT. Uh, we're doing, you know, historical lookbacks now on how our assets, those assets, would have performed, and I think we're going to see that our thesis around shorter tenor contracts and more market exposure um, uh, is is going to be borne out uh, very, very um, convincingly in the first few years, at least, of these assets operation with, you know, uh, energy markets running up and rec markets running up. So. That, that's our that's our base portfolio. We're very excited to bring that online. Um, we have uh, a rough sort of doubling, another another uh, three gigawatts or so, um, with about three gigawatt hours of uh, battery storage um, in what we call kind of the, the the core portfolio, which is really just the next turn of the crank for our business. It's 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 more grid tied storage and renewable generation, right? So it's 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 just uh, doing what we do and continuing to do it again, right? Uh, it is primarily in California and Texas. We we are we love those markets. We we think that California is very hard to develop in and very hard to develop in well. We we look at the numbers and it is nowhere near satiated in terms of its desire for renewable energy. Uh, there's no doubt that the mix of that energy, as between you know the balance of solar and storage, you know need you, you need to be careful about uh, the time of day when that energy is produced and how much storage you have and all of that. But um, there are many many profitable ways to do clean energy uh, uh, generation and storage at scale in California for many years to come. Um, we love it because we're very good at that market and we see sort of um, barriers to entry for a lot of other folks uh, in the Texas market. Uh, Similarly, we love the scale that's achievable in the Texas market, and um, we, you know, in terms of our contracting structures and the way we manage risk, uh, where Texas can be quite dangerous to other parties, um, we actually believe that the way we've got it, you know, our, our, our assets set up uh, and our financing set up, that Texas is something we uh, understand. We don't take it lightly, uh, the market structure in Texas, but um, we're well positioned to make money in a in a market where clean energy has a lot of running room to scale. So um, that that core portfolio is going to be kind of a more than doubling of our Texas and California fleet, um, uh, with a lot of diversification within the region. Um, they're not going to be right on top of each other, um, and a lot of diversification in terms of offtakes battery structures. Um, uh, we're looking at some really innovative stuff uh, in Texas, in particular around uh, basis hedging. Um, 
the and then the final piece is what we call our expansion portfolio, which is what rounds out that you know eight uh, you know eight gigawatts roughly of you know generation and, and storage. Uh, that includes not only solar generation but also wind generation, which we're moving into right now. We're we're developing our first wind plants. Um, uh, and it also includes all of the wind and solar that will uh, feed our green hydrogen projects and some of our larger uh, behind the meter uh, projects that are that are beginning to look at things like um, uh, electrification of steam loads and thermal energy and uh, you know direct air capture and those sorts of things. Um, we're, we're actively developing the renewables for all of those things um, and we're actively developing and have real projects that we'll be announcing, you know, probably in the next six months on the hydrogen side. Um, and, uh, you know, we're still earlier stage in terms of actually uh, the development and, and commercial arrangements for, you know, direct air capture or, you know, thermal electrification. Those are those are still probably a ways off. But we do believe that the renewables that we're currently developing because of the locations and the quality of the of the generation will eventually be used for those applications as well. Excellent. Thank you for that. Um, let's talk about energy storage uh, and some of the technologies that are out there. Um, as you pointed to about California, they've really started to ramp up their efforts in long duration storage. Um, you know, we see these through some of these various RFOs and RFPs that are out there. Um, and at, at the other end of things, there's, you know, projects that are moving away from lithium ion um, into other places like uh, vanadium uh, redox and um, some other other technologies. Um, yet, you know, we keep hearing from the large amount larger amount of folks out there that lithium ion is still, uh, you know, going to solve ninety five percent of the problem basically. But um, you know, there's still a lithium ion shortage that's out there as well. Uh, so there's all these overarching things out there. But I wanted to just get um, your sense, given your experience in the field, as to where this is all going. Are we going to see? more of a gradual shifting away from lithium ion, or is it more the case of them trying to solve the lithium ion shortage, doing other ways of mining to get to increase that um, supply? Uh, what are your thoughts in this area? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good question. And I'll start by saying, you know, like I'm sure there are people at the you know, at Breakthrough Energy and folks like that who have a more informed perspective from a technological perspective, you know, uh, uh, standpoint than than I certainly do. Uh, but But as a developer, just kind of using my like, you know, some combination of financial analysis, power markets knowledge, and my gut. Um, you know, the things that I'm seeing are uh, the lithium ion. You know, the death of lithium ion is sort of um, potentially, uh, uh, you know, overhyped. Um, you know, you're already seeing like the lithium carbonate ind indices that are underlying a lot of these battery prices begin to decline again. Um, you know, it's, it's it's still very expensive. Don't get me wrong; it's gone way up, and it hasn't kind of had that kind of you know going to, going to zero approach that everybody said you know batteries were going to do. Um, but uh, you know, increasingly as you deploy more renewables, the revenue profile of those batteries goes up, right? Because because you get more volatility in the markets, more peak to trough differences, and those that the bat the value of a battery is literally you can write the equation uh, based on kind of you know. The difference between the peak and trough, the, the the charge cost and the discharge cost. So, um, you know, I, I think overall you'll still see a very robust market for grid tied uh, 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 lithium ion storage. 
and and that's really because most of it kind of takes us to my second point which is that most of the markets um that we're looking at really only have power market products that that lithium ion can address right so you look at capacity markets in PJM or RA in California you you look at you know the 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 energy arbitrage you know uh the value of batteries is kind of you know capacity ancillary services energy arbitrage right three big categories of revenue you know all of those three things if you look across all the power markets in the United States lithium ion is probably able to deliver value in on all of those products and by going to a week two weeks or a month worth of storage, you're delivering more value because you're giving people the opportunity to ride out big storms, you know, kind of crazy events, you know, uh, that, that keep you from charging potentially. But there's nothing in the marketplace that really rewards people for that. There's no capacity market that says, if you can stand by and be ready for a full month, you get some sort of premium paid to you, right? So you're really just relying on the fact that some a mate, you know, some very large disruption is going to happen in that time period that's going to allow you to arbitrage the peak to trough. It's really hard to see an economic case for that mid range of storage. And that's why lithium ion is just dominant on the front end, because it provides for all of the products that are currently being valued by the marketplace. Um, you know what the third point I'll make is just that Really, I, I, what I see with that hydrogen PTC emerging is kind of this like barbell approach where it's you'll see because you have to go the whole way from from kind of intraday to seasonal storage before you really find another big uptick where there's a lot of value that could be extracted from the marketplace. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people are looking to hydrogen for that kind of like, you know, it's a not very windy day in February. Uh, and and the sun is you know the the solar profile sun's still out but the solar profile's real low and you know we need to we need to or March and you've got gas fired assets going offline at the same time now you know now you need seasonal storage to come in at that point so I think you've got this business case at both ends right now and you've got a lot of technologies in the middle kind of looking for a business case um, I'll, I'll just say one more thing if I could sorry I'm <laughs> going on a long time here and yeah. that is that. I think a lot of those technologies in the middle, I'm not, I'm really not sort of dismissing them because I actually think many of them, some of the vanadium, the the, the, the CO2 and air, uh, you know, pressurized CO2 and air, uh, some of the, the, the uh, simpler and cheaper battery chemistries. Um, I, I think all of those have application. And I actually think what will happen is as they get to scale and their costs come down, what you'll wind up doing is they will compete directly head to head with lithium ion. And what will happen, I think, is that then we'll keep the price of lithium ion down and then we'll keep those folks honest because it's 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 going to be the case where. You might only have something that's 50 percent efficient instead of 80 percent efficient, but if it costs half as much, you you know, because lithium carbonate stays high because, you know, the the, the auto industry needs lithium ion. Then, then you know, then some of those mid-range technologies will just move in, and even though they could store for a week or two weeks, they'll still make plenty of money for you in the intraday market, right? That so anyway, that's a very lengthy overview of kind of my view. Again, all has to do more with economics than with with technology because I'm not an engineer.
Sheldon, I, I asked a uh, four-part question and I got a four-part answer. So <laughs> you met me halfway. I like it. Um, let's talk about, you have some very well-heeled, scaled-up uh, IPP models that are out there um, that are, you know, announcing that, you know, like you guys yourselves announced your deal with First Solar today. Um, you know, is there the case where developers themselves have to start investing in domestic manufacturers or is that going to happen at some point? You know, uh, yes and no. Um, developers will have to invest. What what I think will happen is developers will invest their pipelines and their and their commitments in their factories. So what 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 can't be denied is that you ha we have to have a much tighter linkage between the the various components of the supply chain. Because this whole kind of well, I make modules. Sometimes I sell them, and sometimes I don't. Or you know, like that doesn't yeah. that doesn't work, right? We're in a rapidly scaling business that's incredibly capital intensive, and in that arrangement, like, and we're moving into an era where um, I think people are starting to realize that the supply constraints of equipment in the industry are very real, and they're you know we've lived in over a decade of declining costs. Pro, you know, declining costs, say, of solar. And what's happened is because there's always been more supply of panels than really unlimited demand for renewables at any price point, you've cost has always equaled, or price has always equaled cost, you know, or close to it, right? And now we're moving into an era where it actually doesn't matter what the cost is. You now, now demand is outpacing the supply that can be provided. And so, and so we're, you know, price is being set more by demand and what people are willing to pay than by what it can be created for. And so in order to really support these massive build outs that are gonna to have to happen, you're going to see developers not necessarily investing capital, but you're going to see them committing to longer term, bigger, more exclusive relationships to take volume from their supply chain. And you're not gonna see them haggling over a penny they're going to be in there negotiating deals and the deals are going to be reasonable to allow them to achieve their end game. But the suppliers are going to be making, you know, I think much more reasonable and predictable margins than they have in the past. And so, you know, that that's where we're going. I mean, you can see it in our relationship with First Solar, which, you know, I mean, we 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 really uh, uh, have spent an enormous amount of time and so have they investing in that relationship. Um, we are uh big fans of their technology we're excited about where their technology roadmap is going uh you know I, I we share a common belief that you know clean energy in this country um needs to come from this country if we're going to make it sustainable and you know like like a, a business that everybody can politically support um and so you know we're 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 extremely excited uh, by the prospects there. I mean, I, you know, our announcement today, you, you can read the announcement, but, but, uh, uh, you know, the bulk of those modules are going to come from Ohio, right? And as a kid who grew up in Ohio, um, and who has now deployed an enormous amount of modules, both in the portfolio we're doing now and, and in subsequent portfolios from Ohio, um, I have a great deal of pride in, in that. So. Okay. Um, why don't we shift a little bit to, to green hydrogen now? Um, you know, again, this was stemming from the June 20th announcement about the funding um, from TPG, uh, 
Rise and others, um, where you single out one gigawatt of green hydrogen amongst the uses of capital. I read your nexus of decarbonization piece this morning. Um, you know where you point to green hydrogen and e-fuels amongst the five industries. Um, you know in terms of goals of reaching net carbon emissions, just in general. But maybe walk me through at a higher level how you think the one gigawatt is going to play out. Um, yeah, I, I mean our our. Uh... Our hydrogen strategy is pretty, um, pretty focused on scale first and foremost. So, so you know, I think uh, how is it going to play out? Yeah, well, it's going to play out very differently if you know the House and Senate take a vote on Tuesday and Wednesday, as we we hope they might. Um, uh, but you know, even without that, uh, we believe that that the demand for hydrogen is um, is has a, a few key attributes. One, um, you know. The markets that a lot of people think are super exciting, like transportation or burning hydrogen in a gas turbine, they're probably not markets we're all that interested in for for two key reasons, for different reasons, but for two key reasons. One is transportation is it's a pretty small, it's a pretty big market, but it's incredibly distributed. You've got to get it to the point of use. And that transportation of pure hydrogen is actually quite hard. So it's it doesn't make for a very scalable production business on the hydrogen side. I don't think it's where, um, you know, there'll be a lot of people that go there. It's just not where we go because our entire business is based on laser focus on monster scalable projects, um, you know. And then the second piece, like like the gas fired side, you know, that's a capacity game. People who old get own old gas turbines, they're going to do well because what they're selling is the the green capacity. Those those you're not actually going to baseload hydrogen, right? You know, people people are going to you know that the, the actual amount of hydrogen burned in a hydrogen gas turbine will hopefully be quite low um, because it'll just be used to fill in here and there. So as a pr- hydrogen producer, I'm not necessarily looking at that market and going, boy, there's a sustainable massive market for my hydrogen. So what I am looking at then is really folks you know who are either existing users of large you know amounts of hydrogen so ammonia refining industrial uses or folks who are going to take the the hydrogen and move it into um these emerging massive uh green fuels markets primarily probably green methanol green ammonia right and and you know this has all been accelerated rapidly by the increase in gas prices and the shutting down of ammonia, uh, you know, uh, uh, for, uh, capacity in Russia and the Ukraine. I think something like the 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 uh, exact number I'm, I'm going to mess up here, but I think something like 25% or more of the world's uh, ammonia fertilizer production or ammonia production is kind of shut in in Russia and the Ukraine right now, or was at one point. So you saw ammonia prices triple or more. Uh, out of the Ukraine crisis, and that's just for the ammonia that people use today, right? But you know that that's 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 the ammonia market today. And now you've got Asia and Europe who all have these large climate goals, saying, "Give us all the LNG we can po- you can possibly give us in the next three, four, five years." But five years from now, we want all of it to be green ammonia, you know, <laughs> like like because our entire economy is shifting to a green fuels, you know, approach, right? So. Our, our, our strategy is about big, scalable, um, you know, either industrial users of existing hydrogen or folks that are doing, you know, large fuels type plays. 
we'll have our first um, projects that will round out most of that thousand megawatts of generation, um, you know, dedicated to hydrogen uh, in, uh, you know, we'll have those probably in some form of, of you know, public announcement uh, in the next, you know, six plus months here. And then, uh, and then, you know, particularly if this vote goes through, I mean, there'll be an enormous amount of announcements on the heels of that. We're, 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 we're developing at a, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres type scale around these around the hydrogen market um, thesis. So uh, that that is uh, a, a, a multi multi gigawatt type strategy uh, that we hope to 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 ultimately you know yield by the end of the decade. And this will just involve uh, conventionally using electrolyzer technology to draw excess renewables. That's the idea. Existing interstates. Uh, not not from existing projects. No, these will be purpose-built projects, um, purpose-built project, renewable projects in the you know gigawatt scale okay. for the purpose of, of of running electrolyzers. And to some degree, I mean, we we're also quite excited about um, you know uh, uh, other technologies. I mean, there there are other technologies out there. You know, there's there's you know methane pyrolysis uh, with carbon capture is is a is a technology that is very viable and quite interesting for. You know a number of reasons, um, uh, and so there are there are others that we would like to work with as well. Um, but right now, our intention is very much you know electrolyzer based uh, uh, hydrogen production. Okay, last question, and uh, thank you for your time today. Um, so, just moving uh, in the near future about energy storage and the rise of, of EV charging and what that might come if. You know, EVs continue, electric vehicles continue to grow, and there continues to be the need for infrastructure uh, around it. Um, how do you imagine uh, energy storage and electric vehicle charging are going to be working with each other? You know, at some point, at some day, are they going to be working together about sort of the energy discharge? Are they going to be competing with each other? Um, how how is this going to work? Well, you know, I don't. I don't I don't, you know, pretend to be kind of, you know, a Silicon Valley guy. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you that soft, you know, but but I will tell you that it drives me absolutely bonkers when, you know, I read things like, you know, uh, I, I wrote a little uh, 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 response to um, uh, Mark Andreessen's, uh, you know, software is eating the world. You know, is there, you know, and he built he wrote something called, you know, it's time to build on his blog, and and I wrote I wrote a little response that it was it was pretty um, pretty cheeky uh, in the sense that um, it it's pretty rich coming from a software guy that you know the world has forgotten how to build steel in the ground, um, so uh, kind of latching onto that maybe I get tired of hearing that like we're gonna have this massively dispersed energy infrastructure that's gonna be smart and aware and it's going to like. You know, the reality is you look at the model of rooftop solar and batteries and energy efficiency in the home and smart thermostats and all of that. We can do a lot. I am not saying for a second we shouldn't do all of that. But when you look at what is it, 51 gigatons of carbon, you have to address the 20 percent of that that is coming from boiling water for industrial processes you know like that's the that's the low-hanging fruit right um so you people will make money you know doing distributed battery fleets you know renting people's cars to plug in and dispatch into the grid but 
Intersect is always going to be focused on the bigger scale stuff. So that's the first piece. Why is Intersect then interested in EVs? Because I believe that that long tail of like, let's hook everybody's EV up and that, you know, they'll all be smart and we'll dispatch them into the grid is still a long ways off. And in the interim, there's going to be situations where um, probably the, the the charging integration, like, the, like the, the EV to grid integration is probably going to be more around the fact that some of these larger charging sites will need to have on-site battery banks that are sort of caching the grid, right? So that they have enough power because they're, they're just, you start to get to loads that are tens of megawatts, you will need to essentially trickle charge a battery to then charge cars, right? You, you just, you know, basically you, you look at a large Tesla charging site right now, they've got mega packs on those sites, right? Because they need batteries to sustain the power output of you know the max usage of that site and so i think you'll actually see those kind of grid edge battery assets that are being deployed to build the charging sites as as you know opportunities to dispatch as utility scale and 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 you know power market assets those are the things where we see happening first those are the things we're most focused on and that kind of long tail of like oh there's a thousand cars and we you know like smartly uh uh dispatch them um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Great. Well, that's about all the time we have for a digestible, interesting half hour of podcasting. So Sheldon, thank you very much for your time today. And, uh, please come to pro on to the program again at some point. And, uh, thank you for your time. John, I'd love to. Thanks for having me. Um, and we'll, we'll all keep our fingers crossed and hope to, uh, uh, not uh, get in each other's way as we push this bill to uh, to the president's desk. And with that in mind, uh, uh, please tune in next time. Perk out.